Welcome to the Everything Employment Podcast, a podcast where we discuss different topics relating to the world of employment. Whether you're a job seeker or employer, you will certainly get some value from the things that we will talk about. I am your host, Jags Loter, and my guests today are Lee Treble and Natalie Lane Forecast, who both work on the Work and Health Programme via Shore Trust. They work with participants on the programme who face different challenges to get back into sustainable employment. They are best placed to see how the labour market has changed over the last couple of years and how things will progress in 2022 and beyond. Lee, Natalie, welcome to this today's podcast. I'm looking forward to interviewing you today. Thank you. So just to start off with, uh, I always like to just go into like gratitude. So I think it's just a nice thing to do. Um, so is there anything that you know, you're both great, grateful for at the moment? Yeah, uh, I'm thankful for our um, team that we have. Um, they've worked really hard and well together particularly through the last two years with the, the, the COVID outbreak. Um, they've achieved and supported so many participants overcome their barriers, um, but also moved them into work. They worked together really, really well. Um, and, you know, overcoming some personal issues in there as well. Um, but they are pulled together and we have, the Work and Health Programme in Hertfordshire has, has, has been a great success over the last two years. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'm really thankful for the team that we have and what we've achieved so far. Amazing. Thanks, Lee. How about you, Natalie? Um, I think just to reiterate what Lee said, really, we, we've got a fantastic team. Um, I joined them uh, in June this year, um, previously working for Shore Trust, but in a different area. So knowing the job, um, but coming into a, a new team has been actually it was daunting, but it's it's been fantastic. We've got a new set of staff in. Um, we've got an older set of staff that have been doing a work work and health program for many years. Um, so the mixture of new new faces, new ideas against the ones that have got real established knowledge and and bits like that has has been brilliant. I've learned a lot from the team this year, and I am kind of grateful that I get to do the job that I do um, being able to go out and about to assisted interviews with participants to employers getting to meet new people and it's just so rewarding to see some of the participants get placed and have jobs off the back of it and just know that you've been there to help them along their way and make a difference. Amazing both fantastic like gratitudes to have I know like finding a place to work for most people is a challenge but obviously when you find somewhere which is like you actually enjoy going into you'll feel like you're making a difference then that's just like I suppose the, the cherry on the on the cake going back to what you were saying Leah and obviously Natalie there was some stuff in there which I think is really important to explore as well I mean especially being a new star but really I think you can maybe go into uh, a little bit more about the work and health program and how someone who's out there looking for work, how they can get onto the programme? Yeah, of course. So the Work and Health programme has been running since 2018, and it's a DWP contract. The referrals are made predominantly through the job centre from the work coaches, from their caseloads, and they will identify that there is a customer of theirs that will have a barrier falling into three groups, whether they're uh, disability, uh, long-term unemployed or early access. So there's three, there's three types that they can be referred under to the Work and Health Programme. Long-term unemployed is quite self-explanatory. It's for those people who have been out of work for two years or more. 
the disability, it's for anyone with a, a permanent disability. So that can be a physical, mental health disability as well. But they will be referred under what we call a disability national account. Now you've got the early access, which is those people who may have criminal background, other sort of barriers. Uh, there's, there's a whole list of things that people could be referred under, you know, a member of a gang or gang culture. It's all sorts of stuff. So homelessness. Um, so that's so so with the work coach, they will identify that this customer needs some support with their barriers, but still wants to go into work. So because the the work and health program is still an employability program, okay? That's that's its predominance, but we help and support with the barriers that might be stopping someone from going into work. The process is quite simple. The job centre will refer, they refer to uh, the Shaw Trust, the customer service team will pick up the referral. The person is then placed into uh, an SM's diary where they'll have a welcome call, start meeting, initial assessment um, within the first four weeks of being on the programme. And then the support is there for 15 months. OK, so they're on the programme for 15 months. During that time on the programme, they, particularly when we do the initial assessment, that's where we, we use what we, we call something called the KLA, Key Life Actions. Um, and this is where we find out exactly in more detail what is stopping someone from going into work under these seven titles. It can be the health, disability. It might be they're out of work, they've never worked, so they don't know how to progress through the process of going into work. So like interviews, getting a CV done, um, upskilling, etc. So all those sorts of things. It might be other personal things that are stopping them, like homelessness. They've got no social uh, support around them, no family. It might be they've got criminal convictions, just come out of prison. So there's all sorts of things that go into that key life indicator so that we can then put an action plan together on how we're going to support them going forward in the work and health programme. Once we've got that, like I say, an, an action plan is agreed between the support manager and the participant. These are reviewed at every four weeks. We have a whole list, a whole pot of provisions we can use within the programme, as well as volunteers who can also support the participants in what area they might need support with. That action plan is reviewed every four weeks. So it might be that that provision we put them in is now finished and done and completed. We now need to put them in a new one. Um, so we then basically progress them to the point where we've helped as much as we can and we're now looking at getting them into work. And this is where Natalie will come in because Natalie's job is to bring in the vacancies ready for those people who are now what we call job ready. So there's a there's a process there to follow. The Work and Health programme has just had a bit of a, a change to it back in June 2021, where we've broken the programme down a little bit, the new working model. The customers go to what we call an insight team first for that, as I said, the welcome start and initial assessment and they spend the first four weeks with them. They then go into what we call either a development pot where they're the furthest away from work, or they go into what we call progression and job ready pot, where they're actually a bit closer to work, but they may need the upskilling. So it includes everything I've said, but they will go into separate pods where they'll have a specialist support manager to support them moving forward. We try and uh, what we try and do on the programme is when we're talking to the participants, the new referrals at the start is we try and talk about going back into work within a year because we also 
at the end of the programme, we offer the in-work support section, which is really important. Um, that will be particularly important for people uh, who come on the programme who have been in work before but don't seem to be able to sustain their jobs. So um, you tend to get a bit of that around people with learning difficulties or where employers don't understand someone with a particular condition. We call them hidden disabilities, uh, where you can look at someone and not actually see the disability that's that's going on with that person. Um, so, so the in-work support side of the contract is very, very important. And that's done on a, a weekly basis with the SM to make sure that once they're in work, once Natalie's placed them in work, and, and with Natalie's help as well, there's a joint effort to to make sure that they sustain in their work and that they're in the job they want to do and the job that they will stay in doing. So basically, that's the programme. But it's, yeah, like I say, for 15 months. But we, we try and we try and support with as much as we can within what we've got, but also outside as well. We can tap into other provisions outside of the contract, which I know my SMs do all the time. But we've got a hell of a lot that's in the programme itself that's assigned to the programme. Fantastic. Uh, that was just really, really in depth. Uh, so I think anyone who's looking for like a programme to come onto, um, that that covers pretty much all the bases. Uh, one thing I would just say is anybody who's listening, if you're wondering what SM is, this support manager. What I wanted to just quickly ask you, Lee, is with this programme, does it have to come through the job centre? Can they just walk into, uh, say, where you're based uh, with your team and and sign up, or does it have to come through the job centre? To be honest with you, there was an option, uh, probably I'd probably say about a year ago, where we could take voluntary referrals. So that's where someone could possibly call us or walk in and, and, and sign to the programme. They don't have to be on a benefit to be on this programme and they don't even necessarily have to be assigned to the job centre but they do need to come through the the, the job centre. What they need to do is phone the job centre um, providing they're not in work that's the only requirement they, they cannot be in work already but if they're not in work uh, whether they're claiming a benefit or not they can they can be referred to the work and help home but at the moment it's through the job centres. Okay perfect. Uh, and that quite leads on to nice, quite nicely because you mentioned a bit, a little bit about Natalie's role. Uh, it'd be good to know a little bit more about how you get involved, uh, Natalie, and where you sort of fit into everything. Because I mean, Lee is very much, and his team is, from what what I got there was the daily contact with the with the participants who are on the program. Whereas your role is slightly different. Just tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. So my role is an IEC. Uh, so I'm an inclusive employment consultant. So within that, I've got kind of a few little bits that I do within that. So um, number one, first and foremost, is employer engagement. So it's reaching out to employees in the local area, explaining who we are, who Shore Trust is. We're effectively like a recruitment agency. So when I've got the job ready candidates, an employer might say, oh, I've, I've got five positions here um, for warehouse people in Hartford and I'd be able to say right okay in Hartford at the moment job ready we've got a couple of people and then we can look at placing them so it does work out really really nicely that we've got some nice employers that we've got good relationships with they're very supportive um, of our candidates and they are they're there to make a bit of a difference like us 
um, break down some of the barriers into work. Um, I do a lot of employer engagement and we've actually been out with some of the team. We've delivered some diversity and inclusion training. Um, as Lee said, a lot of the conditions that our candidates have are invisible. So it's it's making employers aware of what disabilities are out there, what ones are actually more common than you think, and break down some of the misconceptions of it and give them just little pointers how to assist people to adjust into the workplace to help them sustain employment. So that that's kind of one side of it. The other side of it is actually working really closely with the support managers and working with the candidates. So what I like to do is when they get into that position, even if they're in the development pot and they're a little way away from work, but they're not too sure about what they want to do. I like to get involved with them as soon as possible, really. Just number one, I'm then not this scary lady who says, right, I've got a job, you're going to work. But to actually work with them and be part of their journey and assist with the support managers, I think it makes the whole transition a little bit easier for the candidates. Having an invisible illness myself, I can actually say to them, I know where you've come in from. I do understand, I empathise. Everything takes time, whether it's one tiny step or if it's one giant leap, it doesn't matter as long as you're going forward. There's some people that might have some mental health problems and just having a little routine is really, really helpful. So we can say, right, let's have a look at a tiny little part time job just to get you a routine, just to get you out of the house and establish that. That's what I would call a stepping stone job. It's never going to be anything that is set in stone that they have to stay in but it's something that assists them on their journey so again we look at all different aspects of that I mean the goal is sustainable employment at the end of it but whether or not they go straight into that sustainable employment or they have a smaller part-time job that they can kind of work in whilst they're upskilling with some of the provisions that Lee's mentioned it just gets them to their end goal. So I do a lot of employer engagement, a lot of the in-work support, um, but also work with a lot of the participants, which I think previously um, the IECs didn't generally have that much contact or input. But I think in the last six months especially, um, I think it's proved beneficial and we've we've been seeing some really good results and people getting back into work. Oh, that's amazing. Like as in that you actually get a bit more interaction with the participant as well to I suppose the word that's kind of sticking in my mind right now is is that synergy between the employer and the the participant so that they've it almost like fits together like two pieces in the jigsaw. And that's what creates that sustainability, right? I think one thing you touched upon was those small steps which I quite like, as in, you know, you get that part-time uh, work and and then that's that one stepping stone before you maybe entertain the idea of doing something more I mean even something like volunteering is probably a good thing as well um, is is that something that you you both get involved on in helping the participant maybe get volunteering work while they're looking for like work and just tell me what's some of the benefits that can come back from uh, volunteering as well yeah, I think we've got a couple on the caseload at the moment, haven't we, Lee, that are, are doing a little bit of volunteering. You generally find that the, the ones that volunteer are the ones that have been out of work, classed as long-term unemployed. might not be that they've been long-term unemployed, 
because they've been carers, they've been bringing up a family, they've been looking after older relatives, especially in the last two years. Um, we've seen a lot of that. So they have been having a full time job. They've just not been employed as such. We do encourage it. Again, we do feel that there is that sense of reward and that feeling that they've made a difference as well, um, which I think goes really, really well to kind of their mindset as well, knowing that they're giving back kind of helps them on their way and and it just builds their confidence to go into a workplace yeah i just i just add to that pre-covid placements and volunteer roles and work trials was quite a big part of the contract um quite a few companies that used to offer that and as natalie said it was more for the long-term unemployed or people who have never worked or are suddenly now in a position where they need to get some skills or some experience of being in work. What does it feel like? Perhaps someone with a new disability or new health condition as well. Um, you know, what can I do? What can't I do? So placements and voluntary is a good way to ease people in, but to also upskill as they're doing that. But as Natalie said, to build confidence, then from that will help identify what they can do in the way of paid work so it's always a good thing but unfortunately due to covid there's not there wasn't obviously many places open so the placements were sort of like you know fell fell to the by the wayside a little bit but they are starting to come back now and i reckon in the new year we'll probably have more opportunities opened up to put people in placements that's good to hear that there's going to be more and more coming back I mean, for me, I definitely see the value of volunteering, something which I've done in between jobs myself. And it really just it helps. It's like just doing something which I think is just quite nice anyway to do. Like you're just helping out in the community as well. And I suppose only good things can come back from that kind of long term as well. One thing I do want to talk about, because I know, Natalie, that you're working with employers. Uh, is there any employers that you've worked with that have any sort of success stories where, you know, you've really done some work with them and really helped maybe the participants who do have those those barriers like and worked with that employer to really help make those adjustments that would you know cater for those participants coming through? Do you have any sort of success stories around that? And just tell me a little bit about the um, the, the adjustments that you helped them with. I've got a couple at the moment. One that I'm especially proud of is Smith's News, national company. Head office is based in Hemel Hempstead. So with Smith's News, they had a candidate who he's on the autistic spectrum, very much liked to investigate a company for himself, um, liked to know what their values were, what they were about, things like that. And he'd expressed an interest um, in the company. However, he didn't, he's not confident with the whole interview process and, and things like that. So first and foremost, we, we just kind of reached out to them and, and just said, look, this is this is your trust. We deliver the work and health program. And we had a couple of meetings um, over the computer and on the phone. And I went over there. Oh, it's a good couple of months ago now. Um, took our IEC apprentice with me, Abby. Had a full tour around. So they showed us like the office areas, the big warehouse areas, all the different departments that were working within that one unit. So we sat down with the top management and just said, look, what are you looking 
from us um what can we do for you kind of thing they said that they'd worked with a similar charity a few years ago to place some people with difficulties into work however when the placements were then put in there was no support there was no additional anything for the employee or the employer so they found that 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 didn't really work very well they felt that it had proved detrimental to some of the candidates that had applied and hadn't fared so well sitting down and and just kind of talking it through with them what we established was that they didn't really understand some of the common barriers into work we worked with them back and forth for quite a while and eventually put together a diversity and inclusion training day so what we did was I took Holly and Joe over with me so two of our support managers from the hearts team and um, we had a day and we worked with all of the managers the team leaders and the shift supervisors and we went through what is an invisible illness what about just touched on mental health things like that um, we touched on autism as a spectrum and we just we highlighted certain characteristics and talked about them openly we're just basically right these are people there's no reason to say oh oh no we can't employ him because he's autistic we don't know what to do well you do know what to do it's common sense this is if somebody's been a little bit overwhelmed these are the steps that you can take. And it was very, although we had our presentation, it was very interactive. And so a lot of the smaller groups were actually highlighting people within their teams that they said, actually, I, I think he might have ADHD or I think she might have this because we were explaining different characteristics of behaviour. Do you know, it was just so rewarding to see the penny drop with so many people and to say oh this is a very noisy environment talk about sensory overloading how just the little things like a manager can say oh it's a bit noisy in here shall we just pop outside for a chat to then deliver instruction or have a chat somewhere that it's not so loud not so a bad environment just to have a conversation and by taking that that tiny little step of going outside somewhere quiet can really, really change somebody's day and completely change the impact and the outcome of that that conversation. With that in mind, we had the whole day. We also had our candidate, he came in and he had a full tour and he started on a placement a couple of weeks later. He completed his full placement. He was actually scoring as good as some of the employees that have been there for years on certain areas. And I am... Um, so excited he's now in full-time work with them he's absolutely loving it uh, myself and holly do get updates to say i've learned this this week and i've learned that and he's we genuinely have changed everything for him he has had so many jobs mainly last christmas he was taken on as as a temp um did the work did the work to a high standard but when it came to offering the full-time contracts out they were picking people that weren't on the spectrum as opposed to him there was no reason why they couldn't employ him but being able to have this relationship with them now is fantastic we have actually got our second placement in there now as we speak he started yesterday that's been really really rewarding not just for us but for them they've also asked us if we can produce 
kind of sure trust material really and make all of the employees aware not necessarily just the um, the team leaders that they can put it up and around they also would like to roll this out nationwide so we effectively have been the guinea pigs but it, it's gone really really well so I'm very very proud of that relationship yeah that's that's like that's my baby I I, I was gonna say like you can I can see like the change in your like expression like as you were talking about it more and more you're getting happier and happier uh you've got a big smile on your face uh, and it just shows yeah like that um the work that you've put in uh has has come you know there's been some some great a great story or a couple of great stories come out of that from the other side and what was kind of what struck me from that as well was it's almost that your role was to in some part allow the participant to be that bridge to have that open and honest conversation with a with an employer where sometimes they might not feel like they can do it or they may just struggle to do that anyway and then once you've had that conversation you're like okay this is what barriers this is what they you know able to do and how they're able to work and what they just need which might be different to another person and I think everybody's different in that sense right because everyone works in different ways I feel um, so it's just understanding it from you know the person with who, who has that you know that difficulty that barrier that they just made need something which doesn't always kind of come to you straight away uh, as an employer so the fact that you're able to be there and be that bridge and have that open honest conversation I think is 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 wonderful and a great story great like I said success story um so or good news story have have you want to put it forward and I think like off that as well I think because we we talked about how to get onto a program the kind of work you do with employers uh, how part how participants want to like move into work then one thing that you talked about in your gratitude was being like a new start a new person in a new team uh Natalie so how do you help participants on that front as well they're brand new in this role they're like okay it's taken all I've thought about is getting into work now I'm in work what do I do what's what's next um if we could to just cover that a little bit so I started with sure trust and I was over in the West Essex team so that's that's how I started um having to build relationships with um employees over there so coming over from the West Essex team um into Hertfordshire it um I had a good base of what the job was, what was expected within employers and, and things like that. So coming to the Hearts team and, and being the new girl all over again was a little bit daunting. However, the team are fantastic. There's a very different dynamics coming from all different corners. We've had people that are very well established, people that are new. So again, a lot of change for a team. And it, I think it's testament that they are so tight-knit and so well done with a lot of change and COVID in the past couple of years so being able to work with that with the candidates and say well I was the new kid it's really daunting it's nerve-wracking it's this like the first step the first day is always going to be your hardest all jokes aside by tag teaming um, the participant you've got me that there as that support you've also got the support manager that's there as that support so there's always going to be one of us that if they're having a little wobble or there's something that's not quite going right with their day, they know that there's always someone to contact. Being that safety blanket, I had an example the other day. A lovely girl went into work. Uh, they were so, so busy that 
one of the managers offered her a half hour break. The other manager didn't realise that she hadn't had a half an hour break. And so she'd worked this really long day with just half an hour break. And she was in a complete kind of tears at the end of the day. And I just said, right, these so many bad things happened today. Like your taxi didn't turn up on time, but you still went to work. You learnt new things. You've met new people. You didn't have that break, but you survived. You did it. So all of the negative, I managed to turn around and make it really positive. At the start of the conversation, she wasn't going back to work. She couldn't do it. It was it was too much. By the end of the conversation, just having someone to listen, to understand, to point out that there was a lot of good and acknowledge bad days happen and bad things happen, but you've kind of got to get past it. Having someone there to do that, I think is fantastic, whether that's me or the support manager. They've got two of us, basically. One of us is always going to be available. So I think it's really important teamwork to help them and being able to say, I was the new girl. Things happen, but I'm all right. My team are great. You're going to be there. You're going to be like that, too. It's going to be fine. I really like that, um, turning those negatives into positives, helping the participant in that way to see those after having a tough day and just be like actually there's some silver linings here did you did you consider this did you consider that uh, and then all of a sudden they're looking at their day from a totally different perspective and then also that's kind of like what gratitudes are about really being thankful in that way and being grateful for actually I've done something okay it didn't go perfectly but I've come out the other side I'm grateful for that way it's come because I've learned some stuff that's brilliant uh, and I think with like just Lee just talking about from the kind of support managers kind of side, uh, this is where it fits into that realm of in-work support uh, from what you were talking about earlier. Uh, so, yeah, it'd be great to just go through that a little bit and how that kind of process works, um, especially like when the participant, you know, having been out of work for so long and now is like in work, um, you know, that support from there as well. It can be very scary for someone when they're going back into work because it's where the contract's not about just plopping people back into work and then saying bye-bye, that's it. Because um, like Natalie said, for those who have mental health issues or not worked for a long time or have got a bit of a lack of confidence, the the situation of being offered a job, that elation will soon wear off when the actual reality checks in. Oh, my God, I've got a job. Do you know what I mean? Because we see it all the time, don't we, Natalie? So it's really yeah. important. You know, depending on, you know, they might be suffering with mental health, low confidence or whatever, or never worked before. So the whole thing about going into work can, can be really, really scary for some people. So obviously, for those we place into work through Natalie, through her employers, that's generally a much more smoother journey because we can liaise with the employer on what the customer's needs will be, what they're like. We can settle them in much more smoothly than we can with someone who finds their own job. We don't have that contact with the employer. We do have the consent to phone their employers if they want us to. We can do that. If there's any concerns that they feel we can support with with their employers for those who have sourced their own jobs. But generally what we do, if that's not the case, then the in-work support is put in place for the minimum is every two weeks support calls. But we can do every week. It might be for the first couple of weeks. It might be every day for someone who just wants that call on their on their transport journey to work. They might just want to call in the morning. I know we've got a couple of participants who still 
call every day, don't they? Just on their way to work, just like that bit of reassurance, if you like, to talk to their support manager before they go into work. But it's but it's generally the in-work support is how they want it to be. So if it's just a call, just to check in with them, then that's fine. It might be they need a little bit of financial help in the way of transport to work till they get their first paycheck. It might be they do want us to liaise with their employer because actually there's there's some things in their barrier that they need that employer to understand so we can do that. So it's generally how they want it to be. We get lots of people who don't want no calls from us, who don't they don't see a need for us to support them any further. It might be a barrier that we've resolved that was very easily resolved and that it doesn't require any support and they're now off and away. We do get a lot of participants who go into self-employment. That is a slightly different in-work support. Obviously, we need to make sure that they've got all they need in the way of business plans and all sorts of things, accountants and stuff. So make sure that's all set up with them. Uh, Make sure they're following the self-employment process, because obviously that is slightly different. Make sure the job centres are aware that they are declaring their earnings to the job centres. So there's things like that, because obviously uh, we don't want them to be messing up their benefits or their universal credits. So it's it's making sure. So that that for self-employment, that is a slightly more intense in worse sport, just to make sure they're doing all they need to be doing so they don't get into to bother with their their job centres and universal credit. When it comes to the funding, we have, you know, we have funding for each of the participants, whether they're employed or self-employed. Uh, I would probably say most of it is used on their transport for when they're first in work, but there will be other things. There might be safety boots, might be clothing. They might need a particular piece of equipment. Someone with a disability might need a different sort of hearing aid or maybe uh, an alarm a vibrating alarm that goes in their pocket to so that they can work in that warehouse it might be they might need a bike to get to work because there is no transport links for that so there's all sorts of things that we get business cases for and as a senior support manager i'll review those talk to the sma sure it's relevant to that participant and that it's supporting them being in work and staying in work so, you know, the money's there to be used and it's um, used effectively. So basically, that's what we do in Inward Support because obviously our end goal for the participants and for the contract is to keep them in work, make sure they're happy and that they've got everything they need to be able to sustain that job. I think the okay. biggest thing with, um, sorry, in-work support as well, um, especially from my point of view, is to really establish a good relationship with the employer and the employee. So at the beginning, they might not feel confident to go straight to the employer. They come to us and we kind of help it out. But we kind of really help nurture them relationships. So when the in-work support finishes, when they finish with us on the programme, that they have got that relationship and that confidence that they they can speak to their employer if there are any issues. Like Lee said, no, no two work in-work support are the same. None of them are. It is a case of knowing the individual, understanding the participant and their needs and helping develop them whilst they are at work so they're all good out in the big wide world on their own. I think that really, really covers that extra support. It's not just, bang, you go into work and now you're on your own, you have to fend for yourself. That extra additional support on top afterwards as well, I'm sure it's like really helping a lot of people out there as well. And it's greatly that you cover the self-employed as well because um, if anyone is listening and thinking oh can I get that that support being self-employed to to know that's on the program as well is is great 
Uh, one of the barriers almost feels kind of strange saying it's a barrier, but it's, I suppose, in terms of work, it, it could be looking for work, it could be classed as a barrier. And not often is covered is single parents because certain hours that they can work and it's not it's typical, okay, I'm going to start work at nine and finish at five because they've got those commitments of, you know, picking up uh, children from school and then, you know, dropping them off as well. So how do you work with uh, single parents um, and what kind of work is out there as examples that they could potentially look into and how could, you know, being on the Work and Health programme help them to get those those jobs faster? Obviously, we do get quite a lot of referrals where it is single parents, whether that's single mums and dads. That's a challenge in itself. Before COVID, it was very much an employer's market, not an employee market. Um, so you were probably looking at more like school hour jobs, maybe you know teaching assistants uh, or anything that could fit into where they can drop their children off and pick their children up at the times that they need. I think what we've seen since COVID is that we're now in an employee's market where there's more jobs than there is people to fill them. So I think Natalie will probably agree with this. There's probably more flexibility with employers now looking at people who are single parents because they need to employ people and, and they can't be too choosy now and but need to put in some what we call reasonable adjustments so that they can employ people to come and work with them for those who have childcare costs. Shore Trust does have a provision part of the contract where we will help and support with childcare costs. That's not an ongoing thing forever, but it might be something that we'll do for the first few months when someone's in work. But obviously what we need to look at is a resolution to where they can maintain their own childcare so they're going into work. So hopefully in, in they'll be in work with an employer that has that flexibility bit like what Shaw Trust does. We have, you know, we have people with children who are working with us, but we have a flexible approach to that, um, particularly in the present day, you know, because we can work remotely. So we can work from home. We don't always have to be in an office. So it's just looking at what's out there, looking how flexible some of these employers are. And I think, Natalie, you can probably top that up a bit now. Yeah, I think I think it's about finding that happy medium. Single parents are... I won't like it can it can be challenging and that isn't necessarily a hard barrier to overcome it's about establishing what they want and what they need some are quite happy to go back into work and, and work full time um, because they have got the childcare provisions around some don't have that so we look at other options um, that can work around school times so we've been working with Harts County Council we've actually put in since September we've actually put four school crossing patrols into work across Hertfordshire they're working near the children's local school the children can go to breakfast club the children can go to after school club while they're working we're also working with hotel chain who have been fantastic at giving us housekeeping roles so they're always between around 10 and 2 so again they're working around children drop-offs things like that like Lee said there's loads of provisions that we can help people get into like teaching assistance and and things like that so we've got that that we're working on as well we can get a DBS check done which again will help them when it comes to applying for jobs within schools or with 
vulnerable adults or children. So they're there, they've got everything that they need to get into work. For single parents, a lot of the more flexible work at the moment is cleaning. There's all sorts out there. COVID at some point has been a very, very good employer because it's brought out um, cleaning roles, extra cleaning roles and, and loads more. And the worst thing, I think, for a single parent is to say to them, right, this is your best option at flexible work because their mum, their dad, their cook, their cleaner, their teacher, their everything to then go, oh, I've done all of that. Now I've got to go to work and clean something else isn't always the most appealing of options. However, at the moment, it's the most flexible, especially if we can get work within and around a school just because of the school holidays, things like that. So working with the likes of the county council and the school crossing patrol roles works brilliantly. They get half pay through their school holidays as well. So they're not just kind of 13 weeks off with no pay. There are reasonable adjustments with every role. It's just about going out there and finding the employers that are happy to make those reasonable adjustments. That's fantastic. Really sort of paints a picture of like how you can support single parents, what kind of jobs are out there. Um, and like you said, with, with COVID as well, that actually it's opened up a lot of jobs, which are quite flexible as well. And I think one thing I do want to talk about was the employers and employees market. Before I go to that, one thing that people can take from this is that, oh, I can go into this program and that's it. I could put my feet up. Someone's going to look for work for me. They're going to do work with all these employees suddenly I'm just going to have all of these applications done and all I have to do my CV once and that's it but that's not necessarily the case and I don't really want people to kind of listen to us and think that's what it's about so let's kind of bring that barrier <laughs> not barrier let's, let's squash that quickly and just talk about actually what do you expect of participants uh, from this as well what is the, what is that expectation when they come into the program what are they expected to do I laugh because some people do come on the programme thinking, this is brilliant. Someone's going to do it all for me. This is the Work and Health programme. I tell them that. We will look after your health. We will assist you with your barriers. But you've come on here because you want to work. So we're going to get you to work. I will go above and beyond for any candidate to assist them with an application or any issues that they have. But they also have to do it themselves. There is that 50-50. I get to the point where we've built them up, they've got the confidence, they're ready to go. I'm here to catch you if you fall, but you've kind of got to do it. I mean, with that, I think that's the best analogy, really, isn't it, Lee? Like, we're there to catch you. Yeah, I think, I, as with all these programmes, uh, and I've been with Short Trust 13 years, what, what we're trying to do is promote independence. So so that's the whole, that's the whole point of the programme. We do support with an awful lot on the programme, but all the support managers will encourage their participants to do their share. This is not about them joining and they go and sit down in front of the TV and we just call them when we've done everything we need to do to get them where they need to be. It's their journey. It's not our journey. We're here to manage their journey, but also to put in place what they need on their own journey to get to where they need to be. So it's very much when a participant joins that that's why we have the regular two week meetings and then the monthly review so that they are fully engaged. They need to be fully engaged on this program so that it can move forward nicely. There will be times when it goes backwards 
Um, that's why we have the provisions and, and bits and pieces in place to help and support people if it goes wrong. But they need to be engaged. It's a very bespoke programme. It's very uh, bespoke to that individual. Um, so we're, we're there to basically to um, support managers. All of us are here to help manage that process and that journey for them. But they must be involved. It's for them to become independent because at the end of it, when they've sustained that job, they are then exited from the program when that job, you know, when when they come to the end on the program, uh, that we're we're sort of gone. That's that's us sort of done. So you know, it's it's to, it's to make that as as smooth for them as possible. Yeah, you know, they're in work. They're doing what they need to do. They've got the support mechanisms. They know what they need to do. You know, if someone's got mental health, we know we can't cure mental health, but we have to learn how to manage it, don't we? we have to learn how to manage our condition. Uh, and you know and use all the provisions out there or whatever we need to do to help keep it managed so that's what we do we help try and put that in place to get them where they're going to be in a better place but they must be engaged and they must be doing some of it themselves a nice word that you said there was independence Um, and i suppose in some ways the key to sustainability is independence so if you are i suppose an, an analogy that i can use is that you know you you can help somebody like a like a physio for example helps somebody like walk um if they've had a like you know maybe uh, had an accident but they've still got to do the walking right they've still got to overcome whatever injury it might be for it for example but you've got to put in that work as well do all the stretches and things like that um that you have to do but you know it, once you've got that then you're able to do whatever you need to do yourself right you don't need that physio or that person to support you anymore so yeah, I quite liked what you said there, the, that independence, and it's that's what it's it's about. And then obviously, further down the line, if they feel like, oh yeah, I want to go for another job, everything's going well here, but I can see some better opportunity, they're able to do it themselves, as opposed to being like, oh, let me see if I can dig out the number for that support manager who helped me or that IEC and um, see if they can help me outside of the program. Yeah, that's um, quite quite important uh, thing to get across uh, with all the support that you you're giving people on the work in health, they still have to do that work themselves. Before, uh, something that I've just remembered, actually, and I do really want to cover the employees and the employers sort of market and getting into that a bit as well, the labour market, but unrealistic job goals. Now, one of the things that really comes, which I've heard about is someone who might be, okay, well, I can't do heavy lifting sort of work or any very physical work, but, oh, I want to do admin work. It seems like I can sit down on a computer and do it, but yet, they don't know how to use a computer. So that's probably an example. But tell me about some of the, the kind of job goals that you know participants may have where it doesn't actually fit in with the skills that they currently have and maybe the process of actually helping them get the skills that they do need to make that unrealistic goal, job goal, and now a realistic yeah. one. So yeah. Okay. Now I'm gonna start with this and then I'm gonna come over to you because you get the other end of it when we we get them. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously we, we all have probably a job goal that we'd really love to do, wouldn't we? There's something in our heads, even when we was younger. Um, so we probably all have said, I wish I'd done that or I wish I'd been that or whatever. It's the same for participants. They will come on the programme uh, and, and particularly those those ones who may have a learning difficulty or, or, or something, they will have uh, a job goal. I'll give you an example. I had a customer who wanted to be a pilot. He loves planes, um, he loves airports, he loves everything about it, and his job goal was going to be to be a pilot. Now, with his health condition and with his with his learning to it was never going to happen. 
But we're not here to quash their aspirations, if you like, okay? Because when we, when, when we got down to the gritty detail of what he really loved was, it was he loves the airport. That's what he really loves. He loves being around that environment. He loves the fact that he's close to where the planes are taking off and passengers are coming through and coming home and all of that. He just loves the airport. So we had to find a happy medium with him. He was quite happy to do retail in the end in the airport because he was in the airport. Um, he was seeing passengers with their luggage and stuff and whatever. So we try and we try with some of them to we've got to try and get a, a realistic job goal. We we try and get at least three job goals from people when they join. But also what we've got to think about is the demand led approach of what's out there at the time. Because, as you know, we've been through the COVID. There's certain sectors that are absolutely doing fantastically with the, the COVID situation. But there's other sectors that are really struggling. Who, and also there's going to be... There's going to be people who are, if we go back to admin, which seems to be the most common job goal to put on, you know, the weekend coming through, don't we, Natalie? Because I think the I think the expectation of it, people in their minds think, as you said, is sitting at a desk, maybe filing a few bits of paper, answering a few phone calls and tapping away on a on a keyboard. Funny enough, we've just done an admin day expectation course didn't we for all those people who are on our books who are looking for admin to actually give them the true picture of what an admin job looks like these days when you think about it think about what we do a lot of it i'd probably say 80 percent of it is admin and there is an awful lot of admin you know and it's not filing stuff it's not just answering calls it's working on spreadsheets, it's working on IT, it's tapping into SharePoint, it's keeping a lot of things updated, which is quite pressurised. So when they did the um, the course for what uh, an admin job looks like, it was giving those people who thought admin was the easy way out of what they could do, but actually informing them what skills they would have to have to be able to even apply for an admin job these days and i think it was a really good session wasn't it that because i think some i think there was a lot of people who came away from it realizing that admin wouldn't be for them it's just not going to be that sort of role in a way of upskilling as we've said we've got lots of provisions around helping people manage their health and whatever but we've also got an awful lot of skills provision so that we can tap into the small managers can tap into to help and support people upskill. Now, there's going to be a certain there's going to be a certain amount of people that will never be able will never be that competent on IT. I'm probably one of them. Um, I, I do what I need to do with IT, but I would probably never go to the where you're absolutely fantastic on it. Um, so there is provision for that, but there's going to be some people that just can't use email. To be honest with you, if you're not at those if you haven't got those basic skills, we need to either try and upskill them. So they can do some of their job search and answer to emails. and But when it comes to admin roles, that's probably not going to be an option in this present climate. Because there's an awful lot of people out there who are very upskilled, who are also applying and, and trying to get into those jobs. So we need to look. So each of my SMs will look at their job goals, make sure they have uh, realistically as much as possible job goals to match their 
their skills they've already got and what do we need to do to upskill them to meet what's out there? Nally, do you want to add anything else to that? Yeah, we did see a flurry earlier in the year. A lot of roles came through that work from home admin roles. Everybody wanted them, absolutely everybody. The stark reality of it was it wasn't suitable for everybody. To go through, we we put a lot of people into work with NHS professionals as part of the 111 or 119, sorry, COVID um, line. So number one, you're working from home. Have you got a quiet room where you can work? Have you got kids at home learning? Have you got animals at home? So many people were like, yeah, I can work from home. This is great. And then the reality of it is they didn't have an environment where they could work at home. So number one, that was one barrier to talk to them about. The other side of it was the equipment side. Not every PC or laptop is compatible with certain networks. Again, not all broadband and things like that were compatible. So we did have a lot of work to do with people to make sure that they had the correct environment to work in. And I mean, we were all forced to work from home, whether we liked it or not. And that was a huge adjustment um, for all of us. So it isn't as fun as it sounds. It is tough, especially when you're working on your own at home and maybe you live on your own. So you weren't having any further interaction with people. Um, So that was a big unrealistic goal for a lot of people um, that we had to overcome. Like Lee said, with the admin side of it as well, computer platforms, um, programs, they changed so much. So if you've had a year out of work, the likelihood is a lot has changed within the admin world. Like Lee mentioned, our job, SharePoint, it's Excel, it's it's mind boggling at times, it, it really is. But honing in on them skills that people have already got, we have got that upskilling digital college um, where they can go on and just do a little refresher And the feedback from that is a lot of people that have been in that environment and worked in that environment didn't realise how much it had actually changed. I think it's just about kind of talking through everything with them as well, because some of the jobs that you might think are absolutely weird, wonderful and wacky and you're never going to find a job that matches a participant's requirements. But we do. We've got people that are gift wrapping for example who would have thought that would be a job um but yeah we've got people that are gift wrapping we've got people that are like hosts so just kind of welcoming people to shops or um hospitality areas and things like that so not every job goal is unrealistic what people might think oh they I'd really love to do this but they'll never get that we do we can I mean not everything don't ask me to spend a day stroking a unicorn because I definitely cannot find that job but we if they're like pets and things like that we're working with pets at home in the groom room and we can get them in that way round there's so so many things that that we can do unrealistic job goals are not always a bad thing sometimes they're the fun ones to go out and do that business development and work with yeah, and it's and it's all about transferable skills. Yeah, everyone, every, all of us have transferable skills, whether we've been in work all our lives or we've been at home looking after children as a housewife or, you know, a house husband even. So, you know, we all have um, skills that we can relate to a job, but it might mean just a little bit of upskilling here and there. 
But like I said, with the pandemic and what's going on, it's very much demand-led at the moment. We need to, we try and veer all our customers to what's out there. Obviously, you know, as a first instance, when someone comes on, we do try and get them to what they really, you know, what the aspiration, what they really, really, really like to do. But we do have to do sometimes just rein it in a little bit because of what's out there at the time. But as Natalie said, have a look at the skills they've got because sometimes they don't always realise that some of the skills they got will relate to a job role they never even thought about. So, you know, and um, yeah, the care industry is one of them. We look at that. The care industry is crying out for people to come and work for them. But the first instance in your head thinks, oh, I'm going to be lifting people, taking them to the toilet or, or whatever. Well, actually, there's an awful lot of other jobs within the care sector that people don't think about. There will be some admin. There's some entertainers. Yeah, they have entertainment roles for some of these care homes. People just to take people out for day trips to the theatre. Um, there's some people just there's some care jobs where it's literally just taking a blind person shopping, or something like that. So you know, it's it's not just about what we first think what care sector is all about. There's lots and lots of other roles that can also be very flexible roles as well. So yeah, so it's looking at what's out there on the demand led approach at the moment. That's quite nice. From there, a few things stood out was the sort of the managing the expectations as well, actually being quite proactive and telling participants this is what a particular job, what's the kind of skills you probably need or what you need to be able to be, what the kind of expectations are for that role and what what you should be able to do uh, as a as a minimum. So I quite like the kind of proactivity that with the with the admin and just talking uh, to participants about that. Also, what was really really good from that as well sometimes having that unrealistic job goal can also lead down that path of actually you can still have that unrealistic job goal but you might not there might be something within that that you hadn't considered before so it's almost exploring it with the participant and actually finding something which can kind of grow from that I suppose Uh, like you like you said earlier taking them on that journey is their journey right so uh, actually helping them through that and being like, okay, you want to do this, but there's also these things which relate to that in some way and some of the skills that you've got. So being quite thorough in that way as well. So that really, really nice like in terms of uh, helping that participant, you know, not just being like, okay, I want to do this. Uh, and it probably seems quite out there, but helping them, helping along the way. And sometimes it might be just that first step on the way to that. So I don't know who that person is. Maybe eventually they may become a pilot, but at least they're working in the airport and they can actually see what it's like to work in an airport. Think, okay, I still want to do this and I still want to carry on doing this. And maybe I can build up to that eventually. uh, Or maybe I'll find something else there which is more suited to me, uh, which they didn't didn't actually think about. So, yeah. On the back of that, I mean, we was all thrown into the same situation when the COVID pandemic started. So we, as a company, we were still recruiting and we, we, we had people come and join us. I mean, one of our staff members was a pilot for EasyJet, but obviously the whole travel industry went into, into lockdown. So they, it's the same for us, isn't it? You know, if, if we had to, we have to relook at what we could go into using our transferable skills you know so that we're in work isn't it to see what's left out there but we had we had we had a few people in our team who you know we've got a singer and dancer in our team at the moment you know who's an entertainer for TUI you know TUI holidays 
um, you know, because that industry wasn't there at the time. But so, you know, I always remember when we interviewed Ellie, you know, her transferable and customer service skills were second to none. So that's what we do. It's a customer service role. So we have sometimes all of us have to look at what's, what we can do with what we've got and, you know, and our transferable skills. Amazing. Probably not many people know as well. I used to work on the work and health program and now work in marketing. You know, you can enter into like an employer company and then move around within there as well. Sometimes it's just getting into somewhere and start working. And then who knows, the possibilities are endless. The only final thing I really want to just talk about, and hopefully we can cover it very quickly, just talking a little bit more about the labour market in terms of employer-led and now being more employee-led. And something you mentioned was that employers are now being more flexible they are open to taking people with barriers be taking people who uh, might be for example single parents need that flexibility in terms of hours so i mean just tell me a little bit about how that transition happened and kind of when you noticed it and how working with employers now and what's kind of changed i suppose just just a little bit around that it's kind of snowballed in the last year i think there's been a lot that has contributed to it. COVID was certainly one of them. Everybody's had to offer a wider workforce to make sure that that all the cleaning, all the sanitising and things like that are all done. The other thing was Brexit. A lot of workers are now not here and working. So you've seen a lot of the last couple of months there's been a lot of news, especially, um, for example, around turkey farmers. There's there's going to be a huge shortage of turkeys for Christmas because they haven't got the workers to look after the animals, to then um, go along the food processing line and things like that. So we're finding that there is more jobs available out there rather than less jobs. We are finding that the labour market is becoming a little bit more flexible Obviously, there's some jobs that can be more flexible than others. But at the moment, there is still huge demand for drivers, for cleaners, for warehouse. We have noticed a lot of, through COVID, obviously, shops being shut, a lot of things have been done online, which has generated so many more jobs within places like Amazon, big online retailers. So, that isn't just creating that job, that's a warehouse picking and packing, then that's somebody invoicing and shipping, then that's the delivery drivers, that's, it's those things that have kind of snowballed and brought more jobs to the available market at the moment, again, with everybody offering a degree of flexibility, because at the end of the day, they still need to deliver their services, so they need the workforce. Yeah, and just to add to that, the good thing is quite a few of our participants will come from a disability background. So the disability friendly tick, if you like, with employers has increased, doesn't it, Nat? Where obviously companies have got a shortage of workforce. They've got to start re-looking at how they can employ people with a disability. What is their, you know, what is their disability process? What reasonable adjustments can they make so they can tap into the one point something million people in this country that have officially a disability where they can place them into their workforce. Participants who have a learning difficulty uh, or, or autism can be your most valuable and reliable people in work. If they land a job with you, it's highly unlikely they're going to leave and they will be very, very 
committed to that job and to that company. But these companies just need to learn how to manage those people. If, if we go with someone with autism, sometimes they can come across as being quite rude. But if they're not, it's just because they need structure. They don't need, they don't need to be multitasking. They need to have one task put in front of them as, a, as someone managing that with them. But they can be your best workers. They can be your most committed people within your company that will stay with you and, and, and work as well as anybody else in there. So I think that's what we're starting to see now is more companies. I think Nat will probably agree. We have more companies calling us, whereas before COVID, we would have to go out to them to get those relations built up. So they know now, that as a, and, and Natalie's touched on it about Amazon. Amazon, I would have to say, not that they're not a disability friendly, but some of their processes for their workers within their warehouses, some of the timeframes people have and the the bits they had to keep to was basically unrealistic for people with a disability to keep to. So not many people would be able to work in it. But if you look at what they've done now over the last year, not only have they raised their pay, not only have they raised the starting wage, but they've now started putting in some processes that allows disabled people to be able to work there realistically. And that's what you're starting to see. And that and if we go back to your question you asked me at the start, if I'm thankful for something to COVID, it started to make our employers look a little bit differently at some of the people we have in the community that could be part of their workforce. Because everyone is entitled to be able to be independent and to have a, a life where they can work and be part of society. And that's what Shore Trust stands for. Absolutely. I think Lee touched on it, um, somebody that would have learning difficulties or autism, they will go in, they love structure, they love routine, and they're usually the ones that just get their head down and work because they're not standing chatting, they're not looking for their next break, they are the ones that actually go in and graft, they've spent their whole lives feeling like they have to prove themselves, so they are always there to prove themselves, and I just think it's brilliant that employers are actually starting to notice that having a hidden disability is sometimes a bit of an asset for an employer and that's brilliant that puts a smile on my face so it's um it's great to be working with companies that see it differently now i think that's a fantastic place to to end this podcast on i think you both sort of summarized everything that we kind of almost went full circle uh we came back to the beginning i believe you said the gratitude and bringing that in into it as well and it just gives you that insight of what is happening out there at the moment in terms of the market you know all these these big things that have happened uh you know with covid and, and brexit and how that's impacted on the labor market and how that's opened up opportunities as well and then obviously the role of work and health program in that as well and how that's played an important part to fill those roles and to open up to participants what is possible in terms of jobs as well and helping them get that and helping employees make those adjustments so that participants can get in there. And I think this has been very thorough, just like the support that you give to your participants. And it's been fantastic. So Lee, Natalie, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. It's been absolutely amazing. So much information. And I think participants, employees who are listening to this will get a lot of value from it as well. So thank you very much. Oh, thanks for having us. Thanks, Ray. Nice meeting you. (laughs) (laughs) you too uh, and you're very welcome Um, and hopefully we'll speak soon